Jesus, we just thank you for this amazing opportunity we have to gather together this morning to be inspired by uh, your unfolding story, either through scripture or through the lives of each and every one of us as we gather together today as friends and family and uh, find ourselves inspired by your story living out through us. We just ask that through today's talk and discussion and our times in prayer together that each of us feel closer to you and closer to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you all. We've started a little bit late, but maybe that's good since it was St. Patty's Day last night. And We all know what TJ's like with whiskey, so it's uh, just a good reason to you know, have a breath and take it a little slower. Um, we're in the Lenten season. We've only got a couple, I think it's two Sundays, Easter's away. Um, and today I wanted to, uh, I want to talk about, uh, having new language. Uh, part of the Lenten season for Bloom has been not just connecting with the suffering of, of Jesus, but, but who he suffered for, those who are different than us, those who are on the fringes, who look different, this heartbeat of God that we see through scriptures. And today I want to talk about how our language can be either something that is a bridge or a barrier to having someone else understand divine. Uh, I want to start us, though, really quick with uh, a little parable that I like. There was once a valley with a mighty river running through it, and every few years the rains would fall much heavier than usual, and the river would flood, filling mile after mile of its floodplain in the valley bottom. As the floodwaters rose, everything that could run would run from the valley. Everything that could fly would fly out of the valley. Everything that could crawl would crawl out of the valley bottom, and everything that would climb would climb out of the reach of the rising flood. A monkey sat on a branch of a tree just above the water and stared down into the rushing torrent. As he looked, he saw a mighty fish struggling in the tide just below where he sat, flicking its tail furiously just to keep from being washed away. The monkey, watching the fish struggle, felt compassion for the fish and, reaching down, he scooped the fish out of the water and placed it safe in the top of the tree, where, to the monkey's dismay, that was the end of the fish. Yeah, that's it. That's how it ends. Uh, much to the monkey's dismay, the fish dies. Um, it's an old Tanzanian parable. A lot of, like, you'll hear it told sometimes where it's all the monkeys in the forest start having compassion and they pull all the fish of this river out. And so there's a sea of fish on the land and they're so excited as they're flopping that they're cheering them on until they stop flopping and it's just over. Uh, but it says so much about um, how we think we understand something so clearly or the way we've always done things or uh, and we're just going to do it again without realizing that maybe there's a different place this person's coming from. Maybe this is more like a fish than a monkey like me and it's going to take 
a different approach to um, doing church, being Jesus. There's a, there's a book by Dave Gibbons called The Monkey and the Fish. Uh, Dave is a, a minister from Southeast Asia, and he talks about how there's just different, different ways we need to live out being the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to reach people um, with God's love to help them understand. And one of the things I think is really shocking to me is our language. Um, I remember when Amy and I were in Costa Rica this last year, we were there for five weeks on um, sabbatical, and you'd encounter some people that know English or would be able to understand our limited, broken Spanish, and then there'd be some people from somewhere else in the world, and they don't speak English, we both speak horrible Spanish, and you'd have to try to figure out a way to communicate with one another and to understand. And man, it's fascinating when you're both on such different views, the hand to signals you do, you're really watching their faces, you're trying to figure out, is this coming across, am I giving this message, you're paying attention, there's just something there. Um, I've had so many conversations with friends throughout the years where we can talk about love or the divine or an energy that binds us or something where we can find so much common ground in the words we use but there's so many words there that seem like they're flags, like all of a sudden to someone that word's like, wait a minute, nope, you're just something else. Sometimes that word is God because to them, the only thing they can imagine as God is the white-haired man in the sky with the lightning bolt. And we'll, we try to, you know, I'll try to be like, well, I don't believe in that God either. And it's like, well, no, that is God. Like that's the only image that they can have is this. And so I'll switch words with them. I'll start, well, let's, what are we going to call it in this conversation then? Divine love, power, something that unites us all. What's it going to be? What's this common language? We can have this beautiful conversation once we get a, uh, past this. Uh, I was listening to a podcast with an Irishman this last week who was talking about um, shivlas. Am I saying it right? Did you listen to this? Uh, in Ireland where you'll walk down the street and someone will be like, uh, and there's a famous one. Maybe I'll say this one. There's these, these guys walking down the street and they, they encounter a man. We'll say the man's Doug and they're like, are you Protestant or Catholic? Because it, it says so much about it. I mean, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm actually Muslim. And they're like, but are you a Protestant Muslim or a Catholic Muslim? Because this word, this shivla or something they call it, it, it's not, they don't really want to know his religion. It actually tells them what side of the tracks he's from. And is he close to me? Is he someone I can understand? Or is he a stranger and a foreigner and probably someone who's going to hurt me? And so there would be these little sentences or words they would say that they would pick up and be like, oh, you're not like me. You're something else. And they would use this language to protect themselves and to guide things. And I think society has gotten that way so many times with language. And I think it's interesting how we protect our language so much without thinking of giving it sometimes. I was in a conversation this last week with a friend of ours who was saying that at work there's a coworker who who got angry and said, uh, can you not use the word Jesus when you swear it's really offensive to me? And if you do it again, I'm going to like talk to HR because this is a problem. And it like makes this big deal of like, they're like, oh my goodness. And so they're like, is this normal? Like people getting really mad at the, and I'm like, yeah, there's some people out there like that. But, um, uh, so she thinks her, her opportunity to be a follower of Jesus, to protect this word with everything in her at the cost of someone else thinking like, oh my goodness, you're, you're even going to bring it to HR versus, um, changing our language so that it means something to someone else, so that what we're conveying, what we're living, what we're 
this truth becomes real. It becomes tangible. Taking something natural, even like Eucharist, or even like Jesus himself, the divine embodying something human, something normal, and then making it something spiritual, making it special. Taking something normal and turning it into something even more. Instead of taking these religious things and just protecting them with all our might and realizing that maybe we've lost something in the translation here. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but there's, there's got to be times that even maybe in frustration or in you trying to convey what you feel and emotion on the inside, that you feel like the language isn't there. I feel it even marriages times. I'm trying to help you understand how I'm feeling right now, but the words I'm using are not the right words. They're raising red flags for someone else, and so you change your language to help get across your feelings without offending someone else and going forward. But so if we're looking at this Lenten season of widening our perspective so that we can live differently, changing and looking at people differently, it's even the way we do church, but it's the language we even use about God. Are we willing to change some of our language so it becomes more relatable for someone else? Or is it something that's so closely protected that it becomes this religious idol, even, of senses, that we're protecting with everything in us, forsaking all else just for the protection of this? Um, are we only using outdated language that meant a lot and spoke a lot to a certain period and people group, but means something completely different or means nothing to the group that we may be surrounded with now, our present sense, our neighbors, our family members? There's uh, this one piece in scripture where it says, for God so loved the world that he dot, 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 gave Jesus. But, I mean, this sentence right here, it says so much, for God so loved the world that he, that he what? What wouldn't he do? Even Romans 8, I did it in the message translation because I like it. It says, if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly or freely do for us? We see this over and over in Scripture. What wouldn't God do? He's pursuing us. It's not us trying to look important or get in his eyesight and be like, look at I'm most important because of the way I'm dressing or the way I'm acting or the rituals I'm performing or the language I use. He's like, no, I've been pursuing you even when you were at your worst. Like, don't, don't think you're earning me for some reason. I've been pursuing you. And so we say, as followers of Jesus, that we're trying to embody this divine, this divinity, this love. We're embodying Jesus, the message he brought, God himself, and we want to walk that out. And so he says, is there anything I wouldn't be willing to do to help someone understand this love, to remove any barriers between us? The same question needs to be applied to us as followers, and is there anything I wouldn't do? And so today we're going to look at our language and what we're saying, and is there something that's changing about that? I want to start with God's name or even the name of Jesus, because even this has changed so much just to get us to understand. You can see it written in Hebrew in the middle, and it's pronounced, well, it's even debated how it's pronounced, but Yeshua or Yeshua is the name of Jesus in Hebrew. Its direct translation to English is Joshua. Um, this one word you will see used 218 times in the Old Testament, and none of them are referring to Jesus. They're only referring to Joshua's, because this is how you spelt Joshua in the Bible. 
When Jesus was born, they chose a super common name, a name that other kids on the street would have, a name that ancestors would have had, that, that there was something about it. Now, there's something special about it, even in Matthew um, 121, it says, She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means the Lord rescues. Because this Jesus is the person who will rescue all of his people from sin. And so there is this meaning in the name that is rescuer, but it also is a name that was super common in the day. It wasn't super special. I love how the divine comes in and embodies human flesh. He takes on the name just like any other name. Have you ever seen those charts in America? Like 1978, the most common name, I think it was like Tom or Jim or something like you'd name your kids. And it just keeps, every year we've got our names. The year Jesus was born, which is unknowable, that year was probably Yeshua, like this is what we're naming our kids. Like, it's just, it was common. He came from a super common family in a town that was kind of like, really? There's nothing special going on about this town? From a lineage that was even a little risque with prostitutes and affairs and all kinds of stuff going on. There wasn't anything special. He took on very common human form. And there's even parts of scripture that refer to him as being ugly, like kind of even hard to look at. Jesus wasn't this pretty blue eyes, like amazing. Like he just was a little less than average. And this is what we come into. And then they start translating the scriptures and the stories about Jesus into Greek. And so when they start translating it, they start using the Greek word, which is close enough to that. They didn't take the same word or find a way to say it. Like, no, we'll use a Greek word that we'll understand. And so it changes to Isus. And then Latin became popular, like, later on. We're talking years are spanning by, and, like, well, now we're going to retranslate this, and we're going to call the name Isis. And then later it gets translated into English, and they're like, well, we're going to use the word Jesus, even though Jesus is not the name of the Son of God who walked the earth. It's the name that has been translated over and over to be able to be understood by the people group it was in, this lady who's fighting so much at the beginning for this word that means so much to her, it, it's a translation of a super common boy's name from back then. It's what we prescribe to it, what gives it something more and lives out with it. If you look at East Syrian Christian denominations, they use the word Isho instead of Jesus. I-S-H-O. They don't even say Jesus, and it's Isho. If you look at Muslim cultures or Muslim cultures, it's, it's Isa is Jesus. I-S-A is the prophet that's Jesus. It's, it's a different name because it relates to that group. It needs to change. I don't think God's up there being like, oh, my name is Yeshua, Yeshua, like pulling his hair out, like, damn it, if you'd ever get it right. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't matter as long as it's translating into something else. We see Jesus walk the earth, and he gives us a new definition of God as being God the Father, having these Father qualities. And people, it's just... Brand new. People didn't imagine it would be like this. And even today it seems brand new to us as we try to imagine God in this sense, this perspective, this light, and we look at it. But it needed to change for them to understand the things that he was teaching. We even looked last week, there was that portion of scripture where he says, you've heard it said, but now I say to you this. He's retelling the story in terms that they are going to understand and it's going to make sense to them. They decide to call Jesus Savior. And they chose this not because he's the rescuer or of all the words they could use, rescuer, liberator, whatever. The word Savior is a loaded military term 
that was used only for Roman Caesars at the time. And it was, they were the savior of all. There's this passage, um, there's a lot of writing about this, but I I grabbed this one because I want you to listen closely to the the verbiage that's used here and then pay attention to, to, does this sound very similar to, to language that's used about Jesus in the scriptures? And so they found this, chiseled in the ruins of an old government building, dated 6 B.C. The most divine Caesar, we should conspire equal to the beginnings of all things. The divine Caesar, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. He's the beginning of all things. When everything was falling into disorder and tending towards dissolution, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought into our life the climax of perfection in giving us this emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest in human form, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of God, Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of good concerning him. This is written about Caesar. They were making these Roman rulers deities. They were worshiping them. And Jesus comes on the scene and he decides, I'm going to use the same language, the same word. And they just start describing him the same way. They're like, you might have thought this was the Savior, but I'm going to show you something different. If you read Revelation, it's, it's, if you read it through the lens that it was written as a parody towards Rome, you see, you're like, you, you may, he, he descends to this throne room and it's he describes the throne room and it's... 11 o'clock, if you didn't know. He describes the throne room, but the throne room of heaven he describes is, they're they're saying, is is pretty much, I think it was the Colosseum at the time. It was exact replica. They're saying, look at Rome, and then look at who's on the throne of Rome. You think this person is the one, but I'm going to tell you it's someone different than that. And so they describe something different. And it's this parody of, we can't really speak in regular language here, or we're all going to get strung up or worse. So we're going to write this parody about the saviors of us all and what a savior maybe really looks like. And so they adopt this language of the time that's piercing, that's real, that's something because it said something. It resonated with the people. There was something about it that was like, ooh, this is, this is true. Should we be saying this? There was a truth being said even in the words they chose to use. I love the Old Testament writings because you'll see You'll see names of people, and rabbis have said through the years, a lot of times these names aren't chosen because they were the actual names. The names are chosen that are written down because it says something about the story and about that person. The definition of that name says more about the, the person than they might have been named Kenan. I mean, who names their kid Kenan? And we better change that to make it mean something. And so maybe it'd be Joshua, the rescuer of his people, is what we're going to call him in the story. Because now the people reading it are going to be like, oh, he, his name was... Joshua, that means something to me. But I was reading that old story, and I'd be like, his name was Kenan. Like, what were his parents thinking? Like, that, that name doesn't mean anything. That's a dumb name. Like, man, wow. But they would rename things on purpose because it would tell a bigger story. We see Jesus, or not even Jesus encountering Paul, but we see, um, yeah, Jesus and Peter. Peter is given a new name 
He, he becomes the rock, is what it means, instead of his normal name. I, I would love to see John Cunningham show up to work tomorrow and be like, my new name is The Rock. It says something about God. It says something about me. You're going to call me that. But it's something they did. Like something happened in his life where we couldn't just call him John anymore. They had to come up with something different. So they renamed it because it had more meaning now. And it was okay to do this. He's not going to just be John forever now. He's, he's John the Rock because those chiseled abs are just definitions of Jesus himself. Um, John's like, I wish. Oh, man. Um, they used common language, but even more than common language that would have a real big understanding to everyone else that we even miss a lot of times in translation because we don't know what's going on. Um, they're using pointed words that even their persecutors know that they're saying something even more than this with, with, what, they're, with what they're telling right now. Things need to change through Scripture to be able to have other people opened in. We see Jesus opening it up from this one band to everyone. The Gentiles, the outsiders, those who aren't us, they're all invited in and to be a part of this now. And we see this story where Paul is on a roof and it says he's starving. He's so hungry and he has a food dream when he's hungry on the roof. It says the heavens open, it descends like a sheet comes down and all on this sheet are the forbidden foods. And this voice from heaven says, take, eat. And he's like, take, eat, these are all forbidden. And he says, uh, I even wrote it down because I didn't want to say it wrong. Um, if God calls something permissible and clean, you must not call it forbidden and dirty. It's like, what, if I'm opening you to this, what, who are you to all of a sudden still make this, this idol? Yes, it was written, but now I'm saying to you, these things are getting in the way of reaching the Gentiles. Like, you can't be looking at everybody like, oh my God, you're eating bacon. You're going to hell. Like, it's all over. You said Jesus at work in a derogatory term. Like, it, it might be offensive to you, but they're not saying it in an offensive term. And I'm not saying let's all go out and just start using the name Jesus in vain without it meaning to you. But I'm saying if someone else, if there's a better term to use, or let's not use it as a club against someone either. These We're supposed to fold people in to a greater understanding of God's love, not defend him like he's some little wispy kid on the playground who feels like he's getting picked on. Um, we even changed things like the birth of Jesus. Like they worshipped the sun. They were, they were, uh, pagans worshipped the sun, and, and December 25th is when they had their celebration of the birth of the sun, and this is when we need to like worship this, this ball of energy that gives us life and light and warmth. And the Christians of the time were like, we need to move Jesus' birthday. His own birthday. Let's move it to this day because it's going to make more sense to these people. It's going to have correlations. It's going to... If we tried to move Christmas to a different day in the day and the time we live in right now, I think cities would burn because there would be so many... But yet we did it back then just because it was going to reach a different people group. We're going to... We're going to move the birthday of Jesus. We're going to celebrate it here instead because it's going to mean something to this group. And there's so many pagan traditions along the way that we've picked up on, that we've added because it was going to, to mean something to this group. Most of worship you see in church came because pagan rituals had music and we had no music. And we're like, we should add some music so they're going to feel more comfortable coming in here. And then we're about to start bloom and people are like, worship freaks us out when we come in. Like we come into church 
I don't know Jesus yet. I'm a little freaked out to be there. And you want me to worship someone who I don't think exists yet for 30 minutes on repetition. And then you're going to tell me a story about him. But by that time, I am panicking and like I can't even hear my thoughts anymore. All I hear is the word run, run, run going through my head. And I like want to get out of there. And so yet we're not willing to change again. Like it means something so dear to me. We're going to hold this so true that it just can't change forever. No matter if it's starting to become outdated or offensive or even not even offensive but just scary to someone who's like just what why wouldn't you tell me about him first and then offer me an opportunity to worship or sing or to even not have to sing and just to engage and find out what's going on um there's a there's a poem or parable that that jesus gives where he talks about this guy throwing a party and he invites his friends and those closest to him, and they don't want to show up. And so then he tells his servant, just go out and invite everyone. But the word he uses there, there's this Greek word, and it's a lot of times it's translated into the word compel, but it's so much more than compel. It's uh, definitions even go to the same, like use every means possible of trying to get this person to understand everything un- except for brute force. So except for clubbing them and dragging them with you, like, compel them to understand that they're invited to this party. And this is a parable of, of God's love in this feast that never ends, this, this being wanted and appreciated and invited into something, and we're the ones who are supposed to compel, but it's not compel in the sense of the fire, it's compel in the sense of love, like you're invited to the dinner table. You're wanted, you're needed, you're appreciated. There's something more here. And what language can I use so that this happens for you? So I think the takeaway for us today, I don't even remember if I had any other slides right now, is to start paying attention, especially now through Easter, to your language, the language of Christians you know around you, to language that you see, people that seems to flare something up on the inside of someone because it's maybe saying something else. And start asking yourself, is this more just ritual I'm saying this Or when I'm engaging someone else, are my words for them or is it to protect something on the inside of me? Because Jesus says if you're in his hands, nothing can steal you from him. So why are you worried about language changing a little bit? Since we've changed the language throughout the years to be able to, for people to understand it more. The next thing I want to give you permission to rename things. Call God divine in a conversation if they need to hear that or Jesus divine. Or talk about love as an empowering force that is connecting us all. Let it be something that opens the conversation to take it more, to take it further, instead of being this, I need to protect it just right. I give you permission to rename. And then let's start looking at words. I, I hear so many people use the word Lord when they pray, yet if you look at the reactions of people who I know who are not Christians, who are listening to that prayer, there's an eye flicker when that word is used every time. The word Lord maybe was culturally relevant during the time when the scriptures were written, when Jesus walked the earth. They had lords. There were good lords. The word Lord only means bad things to non-Christians. Christians love the word. It's great. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's above us. To anyone who's outside our faith, it, is, it means dominance. It means it does not mean a loving God pursuing you. That is not conveyed in the word Lord. Yet we still, like it was taught to us since children, so we grab onto this and like, ooh, is it time to maybe let that stay with you in your prayers when you're alone 
but when we're out with people or someone's watching or you're talking about God, maybe Lord is not the most culturally relevant word for us to use anymore. And I'm just going to pick out a few because I want us to come up in discussion. Uh, even the kingdom of heaven, which I like to talk about a lot, or the kingdom of God, kingdom is a weird word. We don't live in kingdom. Well, maybe the Brits, maybe Matt would understand this word more. But, like, the, the word kingdom just seems... And the word kingdom, when they're using it, was not invade the land owned by God. But this word, this Greek word that was translated kingdom of heaven or kingdom of, of God was more about the culture and the way of doing things of God. So why aren't we talking about the culture of God or the culture of love or the culture of heaven like seeping in and touching us? Or maybe culture is a bad word and we need a different one. And it depends on who you're sitting across from. Maybe one person culture is going to make sense and the next person it's, it's going to be something completely different. But why we need the permission to rename these events, to think about them, to talk about them in ways that are going to reach people. The blood of Jesus is another one that I know a lot of people have been taught so much about the blood of Jesus. I don't think it, we need to say a lot about that to be like someone who's not, that's not precious to you yet. It just sounds weird. And so not that we need to negate it or not talk about it or that it can't be precious to us or mean something. It's when we're having conversations. If I'm trying to tell Allie of the love of Jesus, I'm like, but his blood was for you. Like it just sounds not appealing. And I just wonder sometimes if we're, and you can laugh because there is a sense of laughter, but if, you're, if you put yourself in the receiver's shoes, if we, if we do, it, it sounds strange. And are we, are we trying to compel them to understand the love of Jesus, or are we just trying to bring them into a dogma that we're dragging for 2,000 years, words that maybe needed to be rehashed? Um, I even wonder the he-she God references. Like we the Bible was written in a time of, of male dominance that we've so gotten past now. I mean, obviously, this is... But I mean, what we have now is nothing compared to when this was written. And shocking, the men leaders of society give God a masculinity form, and it's only talked about this way. But there are people I know that I'll have conversations of God or divine with them, and they'll correct me to she... And am I going to fight and just keep going, he? No, it's a he. The Bible says it's a he. And it's like, I don't believe in that book. So why are you using it as the only reference in this conversation? A book I don't believe in or something I can touch and feel. So I'll switch to she. Okay, she. That's the common language that we'll use right now. Why not? I think the feminine qualities of God that we should do a talk on sometime are fantastic. There's something there. Um, even I've noticed the statement, I'll pray for you can be dangerous lately. I've seen so many people flare up in the last, even three weeks, where uh, either I'll say it or hear someone say, I'll pray for you. And they'll either be like, please don't, or that doesn't mean anything. I wish you wouldn't say that. Either do something for me or don't, or what does that mean? And so you've got to know your audience. Is this someone who wants to know that you're praying for them? Or is this the person who needs to know that I'm going to send love your way? I can still be praying. I can still whatever. Or... Is my language putting them off, or is it doing what I'm hoping to do that knows that they're in my heart, I'm, I'm worried about what's going on, I want to help, I want to do something, or is it just a scapegoat sentence we use so we don't have to help, or we're not thinking about, are we, if we really love this person, we would use this words. If Amy's uh, grandfather used some sentence with her, and he was mean, and he always said, like, there you go, tiger, or something, but it meant, like, I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with an example, I don't know. Uh, but she hated her grandpa, and so every time I used the word, there you go, Tiger, she'd be like, why would you use that word? No, I'm, this is a fake story. Fake story. <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> um, 
I just don't want to use, I have a friend who there's, they were abused as a kid. And so certain sentences mean something completely different to them. So why would I start to use these sentences with them? Or if I was going to try to be the person who's going to marry them someday, quickly you're going to learn to love this person. You don't say these words. These aren't loving words to them. These words bring up torment or fear or pain and suffering. And so you love them. You have no problem changing the words. If we love people, if we're to walk in the footsteps of love and a God who loves, who at the beginning of all this, this verse, what wouldn't I do? Or gladly and freely do so that they would understand his love. Why would we not be willing to just change our language a little bit and relook at these things? Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity to discuss, to reflect, to talk about new language this morning. Um, we just ask that you, um, I don't know, just give each of us new eyes as we walk into this next week. Help discussion to be good and um, just a safe place to be honest about these things. In Jesus' name, amen.